And in these days, as we think about Jesus, we look to the Gospel of John to give us the whole story of Jesus. This morning, we look at John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we will speak what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. For if I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you the heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. As we're going to continue to see this morning, Christmas is an invitation. And so thank you, Brian and Johnny, for that reminder. We want to spend a moment this morning uh, praying together. Uh, and we want to pray, as our habit has been, uh, for at least one thing from the headlines, uh, one thing for our community, and one thing for our church. And so let's pray together uh, this morning. Our Heavenly Father, as we've watched the news over the last day, our hearts go out to the communities that have been ravaged by these tornadoes. Lord, entire towns that seem to have been knocked to the ground. Lord, so we pray for the community of Mayfield, Kentucky. We pray for the churches that are in Mayfield today. Lord, we pray for the community structures and leaders in that place. Lord, we pray for the rest of the Western Kentucky and for Arkansas and Indiana and all of those folks that have had such devastation. Lord, we pray that you'd be with our brothers and sisters in Christ from Southern Baptist Disaster Relief that's going to show up on the ground. Uh, if they're not already there today, they'll be there tomorrow. And Lord, just as though they had significant ministry in our own community, we pray for that in these communities that they'll be going to uh, right now. Lord, we do pray that you'd be with our community today. We take another opportunity this morning to just pray and lift up the churches in our community. Lord, those that are already gathering, those that are going to be gathering throughout the day, Lord, we pray that their freedom in worship would be just so right and your name would be lifted up. Lord, we pray that in the proclamation and the teaching of your word, your lordship, 
Lord, your role as our Savior would be made so clear. Lord, I pray for our neighbors up the road here at Greenfield uh, Baptist Church. Lord, I pray for Crossroads, Lord, as they settle into a, a new facility in these uh, days. Lord, I pray that you would be with my friend Mark, Lord, over at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Lord, I pray that you'd bless those churches in this day. And then, Lord, we pray for our church. Lord, I pray that our church would continue and grow as an incredibly welcoming place. Lord, so that when someone walks in here for the first time, whether someone walks in here who's going through a tough season, whether someone who has been here for a long time, but Lord, we pray that they would always re feel received and welcome. Lord, I pray that the people who have been loved by you and have experienced that the love of God will be the very best at loving others. Lord, we pray for that truth in the life of our church today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. We dig into John chapter 3 this morning. We're going to take a look at that passage of Scripture. But first of all, I want to take just a moment and just reflect on the fact that there is a difference between confidence and overconfidence. You ever experience the difference between confidence and overconfidence? I think sometimes when I watch some of those award shows, the ones that are on TV for the movie stars or the recording artists or the television stars, and, and, and they always say the right thing about the award. They, 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 they say beforehand, you know, it's, it's just an honor to be nominated. It's just be an honor to be included with all of these other things. I don't really think that I'm going to win. I, I just... I just I'm glad to have my name in the same sentence as these other folks. But you know by the work that they do that these are some pretty confident people. And so while they may be saying out loud with their mouth, well, I'm just glad to be nominated. I don't really expect to win. I think that sometimes if the cameras weren't on them, that some of those folks would be so confident they'd be halfway down the aisle before the name of the winner had been announced because they were so sure that they have to be the one that won. If they ever got caught halfway down and realized, ooh, that wasn't me, uh, I'd call that a Nicodemus situation. Uh, because what we have here in, Gen in John chapter 3 is we have a little bit of a situation where Nicodemus is the one that is so confident and so sure that he has got it right. And then he discovers that no, he hasn't gotten it right. And Nicodemus is so confident that he has it right uh, because he, he comes uh, to Jesus. And he makes arrangements to see Jesus. He is fascinated with Jesus. He wants to spend time with Jesus. He wants to know more about Jesus. And when he comes to Jesus, he is very open to what Jesus has to say, which is pretty impressive because remember in the last chapter, Jesus just chased out a bunch of his folks out of the temple with the whip and was flipping over tables and saying, you've got all of this wrong. But even after that, Nicodemus is open to what Jesus has to say. And in fact, he's incredibly complimentary. He, he says to Jesus, well, we know that you must come from God because no one can do the things that you are doing and perform the signs that you are doing unless you are from God. Not only that, Nicodemus has made the effort 
to seek out Jesus. Now he does it at night and we're not sure exactly what the cause on the night. Maybe he wants not to be noticed. Maybe he just wants some time when Jesus has a little bit more time. But whatever it is, he has probably made more effort to have one-on-one time to listen and hear from Jesus and to take Jesus' words seriously and to compliment Jesus than any of the other Pharisees and folks in his crowd has made. And so I think that there's some sense when he walks up to Jesus and says, we know that you are from God because no one can do the things that you are doing unless they are from God. He is expecting Jesus to give him a great big high five. He is expecting from Jesus to get some kind of award. Boy, Nicodemus, you sure are discriminating. You are one of the wisest people that I've come across yet. Boy, I've been waiting for someone just like you to come along. That's not what Jesus says. Nicodemus says, well, you must come from God because no one can do the things that you can do unless they are from God. And he speaks with this confidence. And Jesus says, listen, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, I know these things. And I'm so confident in these things. And Jesus almost gives them the stiff arm and says, listen, Unless you're born again, in other words, unless your circumstance is different than it is right now, you can't even see in the distance the kingdom of God. Now, there's a little bit of an issue about belief that's already unfolding in the book of John. At the end of chapter 2, It tells us that after having seen Jesus perform many signs, that many people believed in him. Man, that's great, isn't it? But it tells us that Jesus did not trust himself to them. Now, it's fascinating because the belief and the trust is actually the same word. They believed in Jesus, but Jesus didn't believe in them. Nicodemus becomes an example. Is this a person whose belief is something that Jesus is going to recognize or not? And so we kind of struggle. Where's our belief? Where's our standing? Where's our situation? Well, I want you to know that the good news this morning, the good news that I want you to hear this morning, is that Jesus can move anyone from being lost and confused to being connected and secure. Jesus can move anyone from being lost and confused to being connected and secure. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we don't want to miss an ounce of the truth of this passage from your word. Lord, as we want to eavesdrop on this incredible conversation, Lord, we want to make sure that we hear your voice in the middle of it. Lord, I pray that you would be able to move us from being folks that sometimes are lost and confused to being secure and safe in your presence. We pray this in your name. Amen. What we're looking at here this morning is the opportunity to just kind of eavesdrop, to listen in on one of the most incredible conversations of history between Jesus and Nicodemus. In fact, this is one of the longer extended 
manuscripts that we have, transcripts of a conversation that Jesus has with an individual, and it talks about significant topics that we're going to see in a moment. The other thing that's interesting is that, that this is, I don't want to call it a test for Jesus because he's going to do okay. But what's interesting here is that, that this is kind of ramping up the interactions that Jesus has. I don't want to take anything against the disciples, but the disciples are untrained fishermen and craftsmen. The, the technical word here is, is bumpkins. Uh, that, that, that's kind of, they are just folks from the field, from the beach, from the, from the boat. But now Jesus is going to go one-on-one with one of the most trained wisest people around. What's going to happen when the level of conversation increases when Nicodemus shows up? Well, here's some things that we can see as we unpack this conversation. One of the things that we need to see in this passage of Scripture is that with Jesus, no one has a head start. With Jesus, nobody has a head start. Now, you have to understand that Nicodemus is a really big deal. He has an incredibly impressive resume. He is listed as a Pharisee, as a person who is a teacher, an instructor of the law, a person who is incredibly, uh, incredibly committed person to the Word of God. He is listed as a person who would be a rabbi that had his own followers that followed him behind him. He is a person who would have been considered to be a ruler of the Jews. He is a teacher of Israel. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. We're talking about someone who is a big deal and in a culture that would give an immense amount of respect to a rabbi and a ruler, Nicodemus is at the top of that chain. But what we find here is that Jesus is not impressed with Nicodemus's status in any way. In fact, what we have here is that Jesus, for the first time, uses a, a pattern of words that he's going to use over and over again, but he uses it three different times here in this passage of Scripture. Some of your translations say truly, truly. Some of them say verily, verily. Literally, it means amen and amen. Now, that's an interesting phrase because that amen we, we use it in prayer. It's got deep roots as a statement of prayer. But in the first century, in Jesus' time, it would have been the statement that you agreed with someone else's prayer. It's interesting that you rarely would give an amen to your own prayer. But when someone else said something that you knew to be true, at the end of that statement, you would say, amen. That's right. Now what Jesus does, and he's really the first person who does that, is he takes that end statement of amen, and instead of putting it at the end of a statement, he puts it at the front of the statement and doubles it up and says, pay attention to this word. This is the word of God. This is the truth of God, and I would know. Three different times he lays that in front and says, listen to this. In this passage of scripture, the first time he does this is in verse three. He says, listen to me. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He says it again in verse five. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He says it in verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak, to what, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony. 
What is Jesus saying here that he has said, pay attention to these words? He says, listen, in your life, you need a second start. He says, in your life, just as though you have had a physical start, you will also need a spiritual start. Because your physical start and your spiritual start are not synchronized. They are two different events inside of your life. And he says, just because you know it and just because you hear it does not necessarily mean that you receive it. Every person, regardless of who you are, needs to have a beginning with Jesus Christ. Even if you are Nicodemus and your business card says Nicodemus, big deal. I mean, that, that, even if that's true about you, if you are a teacher of Israel, you're a ruler of the Jews, you are a member of the Sanhedrin, you are a Pharisee, even if you're Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Even if you are a big deal, you need to have a physical start of your life and you need to have a spiritual start of your life. And even if you are a big deal like Nicodemus, it is not enough to know it, to hear it, to be aware of it, to be able to answer a quiz about it. You must receive this in your life. And this goes for everyone. It goes for Nicodemus. It goes for me. And it goes for you. Every single person starts at the same level. Nobody that you've ever met begins their journey with God ahead of somebody else. Regardless of whether they're the best person that you've ever met or whether they are the worst person that you've ever met, nobody has a head start with God. That's incredibly important to know. I also think that it's important to know because even for Nicodemus, he wasn't sure if he had enough of a head start. The whole reason that he's having these conversations with Jesus, the whole reason that he is pursuing Jesus is because at the back of his mind, he says, I am a ruler of the Jews. I'm a teacher of Israel. I'm a Pharisee. But maybe that's not enough. And in fact, I will tell you that across the fruited plain, there are people today that think they have their ducks in a row and they're better than a lot of people and sometimes they may even walk around with confidence or overconfidence. But sometimes when their heart and their mind and their soul get quiet, they say, is it enough? Am I advanced enough? And what Jesus tells us is that nobody has a head start when it comes to knowing God or seeing the kingdom of God. Every single person starts the same. Every single person needs a physical beginning and a spiritual beginning. Nobody has a head start. But Jesus also says that with Jesus, no one is locked out. No one is locked out. I think it's really important that we hear both of these statements, that nobody has a head start. Nicodemus, no matter what your resume says, you're not ahead of anybody else. You are on the same plane as everyone else. You come to Jesus the exact same way as everybody else. 
Nicodemus, you're not a big deal. But it's also important to know. It's also important to know that every single person who has ever drawn a breath has a chance to meet and know Jesus and see the kingdom and to be part of the kingdom of God. In fact, we see here in chapter 3 and verse 15 and obviously in verse 16 is that whosoever believes, whosoever believes, that's the task. Every person has the opportunity to believe. Now let's take a moment and let's just think about this idea of belief. We, we, we should pause at this moment because belief is the theme of the Gospel of John. It is what the Gospel writer is going to talk about. It's what Jesus is going to talk about. It's what we see at the beginning of the book. It's what we see at the end of the book. We told you that almost on every page of the book, there's a story of someone who comes to believe. So as we stop and we think about belief just for a moment, well, one of the things that we, we have to recognize is that Jesus is going to tell us that belief is easy and impossible. <laughs> Jesus is going to tell us that if you want to believe, all you have to do is you have to have the same kind of faith as a small child. And he's also going to say that for a person of means, for a person who seems to have it all together, it is more difficult for that person to enter into the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to get through the eye of a needle simultaneously, and I think this is one of the great mysteries that we have to try to understand in terms of faith, simultaneously, faith and belief in Jesus is both one of the easiest things that we'll ever do and one of the most difficult things that we'll ever do. The reason for that is, is that real faith is letting go and trusting God. It real faith is is taking our hands off of it and saying, it's not me. It's not my resume. It's not my successes. It's not the things that I've done. It is God. And I'm going to leave that in God's hands. And in some ways, that is so simple. But in other ways, it is so difficult. You know, the things that really matter to you, the things that really matter to me, we have a tendency to micromanage those things, don't we? Always checking in. Are you sure you're doing those things right? And kind of looking over someone's shoulder. Are you making sure you haven't forgotten me and all of those kinds of things? Those are, those are statements of, of distrust. Well, we don't let it go and say, I trust you to be able to take care of this thing. Faith is saying, I trust you, Jesus, to take care of my life, my soul, my eternity, my now, my sins, my future, my everything. And we take our hands off and say, Jesus, it's yours to do. Now, I think the key element here is that belief is open to everyone. Anyone is able to believe. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's a couple things for us to think about in terms of what it means for belief to be open to everyone. One of the things is to go back to John chapter 2. Remember after Jesus turns the water into wine, it says that the disciples believed. 
I mean, that's a really good thing. But what we're going to see throughout the rest of the Gospel of John is there's a lot of things that the disciples don't have together. They didn't, it says that they believed in John chapter 2. <laughs> but when we get to John chapter 19, they are still struggling. Belief is believing the things that are in front of you right now. You don't have to know it all. You don't have to understand it all. But the things that God has presented to you in this moment that you have believed and received. Now, sometimes you may find an obstacle. Say, well, I don't know about this is going to happen. And I don't know about this. And I've still got questions in this area. That's all right. Belief says the things that have been presented to you at this point, will you believe those things? The other thing I love about the fact that belief is open to everyone is that what happens then is that the people who become followers of Jesus is about the wildest bunch of people you'll ever meet. It's a bit like the circus. There are people from all over, from all different cultures, all different sizes, all different ethnicities, all different personalities, all different abilities, all different pasts, all different shapes, everything. Because the only filter to be becoming part of the household of God is did you believe? Now, every church should look that way. Every church should look like just this wild collection of people from just about anywhere. And sometimes we have to be careful because it can be a sign that when our church doesn't look wild sometimes, and our church just looks a lot like the rest of the people that we spend time with, is that we've held on to the gospel too tightly. We have not let the gospel get out so that anyone who believes can hear and become a follower. With Jesus, no one is locked out. And then I would tell you that as we look at this passage, that with Jesus, no one is left on their own. No one is left on their own. Now let's be honest here in this passage of scripture, it's been a tough conversation for, Nic for Nicodemus. In fact, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus says to, to Nicodemus, don't marvel. And then he immediately marvels. He, he says, teacher of Israel, how do you not understand this? And he talks about the wind, and the wind comes from this place, and you don't understand how the wind blows and all of those things. At the end of this conversation, we don't even know what Nicodemus' response is. In fact, one of the things that Jesus says is, listen, if I tell you the earthly things and you don't understand them, what are you going to do with the heavenly things when it's time to understand those things? But at the end of that passage, Jesus says, listen, nobody can understand those things unless someone who, he says, in fact, no one can ascend into heaven to see and understand those things unless someone has descended to earth. And that brings us back to the story of Christmas, that the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. In fact, Jesus has come here because we cannot do this on our own. We are incapable 
of understanding and knowing these things. We are incapable of reaching up high enough except for Jesus coming here. In fact, Jesus tells the story tells the story of the serpent being raised in the wilderness. Now there was a disease that had gone through the wilderness and people were dying by the hour. And Moses says, what do we do? What do we do? How do we fix this? And Jesus says, take the serpent and put it on a pole and walk through the camp. Really a strange statement. But as he walked through the camp, said anyone who looks upon that serpent they will be healed. And immediately as Moses started walking through that camp, carrying that serpent on a pole, people would look up and they would immediately be healed from all the brokenness of their life. Now there was a choice to be made in that camp. Well, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. I'm not gonna do that. That's not trust. That's not belief. And so there were people there who lived in the shadow of that serpent on that pole who were never healed because they never looked. But there were those who had no hope, but they believed. Believed enough just to turn their head and look. And they were healed. Jesus says, there's no way for you to know these things on your own unless someone has descended to you who has come here and explained these things to you. Jesus is the answer to all of these things. How does that work? It says, whosoever believes, places their trust, places their life. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is knowing and trusting Jesus. Without Jesus, trying to reach the kingdom of God would be the equivalent of training astronauts for space and saying, you know what you're going to need? You're going to need to learn how to hold your breath. And so start practicing for as long as you can, hold your breath. Now, you may get better at holding your breath. You may be better than a lot of other people. But if you're going to live, you're going to need oxygen. Jesus is that oxygen in our life. You can try practicing lots of other things. And you may get better at some things than other people. But if you're going to live, then you must have the oxygen that is Jesus. Let's think about how this applies to your life this morning. It's really quite simple that there is this task that we have to peel back our resume. We have to peel back our failures. We have to peel back our doubts and come to this question, do we believe in Jesus? Am I willing to put my faith, my life, my trust it may seem like the strangest thing that just believing in Jesus is enough to save me, but that is what Jesus tells us. He came here to take away the sins of the world and he pours his life, 
his power, his love, and to making it possible that if we will believe in him, we will have eternal life. It's not my words. Those are his words. And so this morning, if you've never come to that place of belief, it may be that the shadow of the cross has walked past you many, many different times. But you've never turned your head and you've never believed. Today can be that day of belief. Let me pray for you. And you can pray something like this. Heavenly Father, my resume is not perfect. And if Nicodemus wasn't good enough, I know I'm not good enough. And I still have doubts and there are still huge holes in what I know and what I understand. But I'm ready to believe what's in front of me right now. That Jesus came to save me. To forgive me of all my sin and brokenness. And that I turn my head and I look to him in faith right now. If that's something that you do this morning, then I want you to know that the work of God is accomplished in your life in this instant and in this moment. I'd love to pray with you about it just to confirm it in your life. But what you need to know is that it's the point of belief not the point of a pastor, not the point of a church, but it's your moment of belief in Jesus. Would you stand and would you respond? Michael will be